DuckDuckGo has new tracking protections. Google is under some hot fire, which is not entirely uncommon. Discord is being fined for privacy violations, also not surprising, and much, much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 111, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I'm Henry from TechLore. And we're both here. Yay! We're both until never here. The next time. Yeah, until the next time, we're never here. This week, the way to support us is, as usual, Patreon and Monero. So Patreon, you guys know the spiel. Patreon is a fiat currency. Recurring donations, very, very helpful because it allows us to plan ahead for uh, how much money we're going to have to work with each month. And in return, you guys get show notes. You don't have to listen to this segment and you get to ask a question in the Q&A. Monero is a cryptocurrency. It is privacy friendly. It's almost completely anonymous. As, as anonymous as you can make a digital currency. And we don't see anything about you, but we do see all the contributions and we're very, very grateful no matter which way you choose to support us. On that note, just FYI, we are looking into possibly bringing in some sponsors. They will, of course, be vetted. They'll be on topic. They'll be products and services we actually believe in. We're not just going to throw out any kind of suggestion out there. But just wanted to give you guys a heads up in case you start seeing sponsors in coming episodes. That is probably on the way. Last week, I gave everyone the changes that we made back here, and some of you told us that uh, the SSL cert wasn't properly configured for the www domain. So, like, you could type surveillance support.tech and everything would be fine. But if you type www.surveillancereport.tech, um, you would have gotten an SSL error. That is now fixed. Thanks for reporting that. Um, so, everything should work now. So, thank you all for reporting that issue. All right. So, the highlight story this week is from DuckDuckGo, and they're releasing their app tracking protection beta to all Android users. So what this is, this is a third-party app that takes the place of a VPN, kind of like Blocata or Lockdown for iOS. You have to use the DuckDuckGo Android app to make use of the feature. And since it's closed beta, they've added the ability to see what data trackers are attempting to collect, like location, age, device IDs, and things like that, and then decide if you want to block them or not. They've also made the block list public. There have been some articles coming around, specifically Ars Technica, that are claiming this is the most powerful content blocker out there so far. But uh, I think both of us are a little bit hesitant to trust DuckDuckGo with any kind of decisions on what to block, given they whitelisted Microsoft in the past, um, because they're reliant on Microsoft for a lot of what they do. We're just generally a little critical. So now I'm going to go in my personal section, and I'm sure Nate will have comments too. I'm very much upset about the Ars Technica piece about this story, because Ars Technica... By the way, I actually really want people in the comments to let us know how paid pieces work. This to me, reads like a paid piece. And so I don't know if DuckDuckGo pays for a lot of these articles to go out when they release new features. They read very much like marketing pieces and not news stories. I see these from Brave as well, as well as Firefox. When these major outlets, sometimes it sounds more like a marketing pitch than a story pitch. So if people have insight into like how to figure out if something is a paid piece, definitely let us know because I would love to know that as well. But they published Ars Technica to get back on topic, published this new tool as a way to make Android quote, even more powerful than iOS, which, oh my God, if you know us back here, we're going to be like flipping out because this is such a nuanced, complicated thing. This is like a VPN company saying, oh, if you enable our VPN, we're, you're now more anonymous than you, if you are on iOS. This is better, I think, than that, but it's still on a similar fallacy. So I think this is absolutely rubbish because there are some inherent third-party privacy protections on iOS you can't match with Android. And while this does address some of that, this is rubbish because... This is no different than using iVPN with its anti-tracker 
or Molvad with a tracker blocker, just like this, or Winscribe, which has this functionality built in. You can use AdGuard, or you can use NextDNS. There's really so many services out there that replicate what DuckDuckGo is offering here. And I'm not saying that as a way to downplay the tool, but it's not that unique. My main gripe here is about the Ars Technica piece. Regarding the actual feature, this is like, this is a good feature. I'm not saying it's a bad feature, but again, like all the other DuckDuckGo things we've been covering the last six months, it's not that special. It's not that unique. And the marketing is like super strong. It's like the equivalent of like VPN marketing. You kind of hit up all my points. If you guys trust DuckDuckGo, and I say that without judgment, if you guys trust DuckDuckGo and you like them and you want to use them, by all means, I don't think there's anything wrong with this app. But me personally, yeah, my my trust in them was completely... And I, I, I know every time we mention DuckDuckGo, there's all the people that are like, the censorship, the censorship, the censorship. <laughs> Um, my trust in DuckDuckGo was eroding for quite a while. The nail in the coffin was the whole whitelisting Microsoft trackers thing. And after that, I'm just like, why? Like literally at this point, there's literally nothing they can do that would give me the trust to say like, what aren't you block? I mean, I guess they could be a little more open source. I know they're not completely open source. So actually shoot, even with open source, I still don't know if I would trust them to be completely open. Like what are, what are they going to own up to only after they've been caught? Because they've already done it once. I treat it kind of like cheating. If you cheated once, why should I believe you're not going to do it again? So that's my personal take. But again, if you guys trust them, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. We're just here to give you the news. And that's the news. So, Yeah, I'm not as opposed to it as you are, but I definitely understand why you would do that. And I think it just comes back to like, trust matters. And like, we have our personal thoughts and we share them. But if we cover a service and you don't trust the service, it doesn't mean everyone else doesn't have to trust the service. That's a you thing. The block list is public. I will throw that in, but like, I guess you could still argue like, well, are they implementing the same block list? We can go down the rabbit hole, but at least the block list is public. So that's something that's good from this. That's but fair. I'll give you that one. Yeah. Even then, like, I, I, I think it's valid to distrust DuckDuckGo after what they've done. And again, really what I'm really distrustful here is that this isn't that cool of a feature. And lots of these news articles that have no incentive to market this feature as anything crazy are marketing it as something crazy, which makes me think they're all paid pieces. But again, I don't know that for a fact. I, I'm just asking. I'm genuinely asking, are these paid pieces? Because this is not that cool of a feature that you can replicate on an Android device. Again, you can replicate this on any machine. And I guess this might make it easier, but now it's taking up a VPN slot. Okay, with that, we'll move into our data breaches section. And our, we're going to start off with Woosh, who is a Russian scooter sharing service, um, kind of like Lime or Bird, or I think Uber has them too. And they have confirmed a data breach after attackers are selling 7.2 million user records. So Woosh operates in 40 cities. They have about 75,000 scooters. The company says they were aware that they were attacked, but thought that they had successfully fended it off. The leaked data includes promo codes for free service, partial user ID, and payment card data. So thankfully not a ton of user data, but obviously like Russia, I have no idea what the laws are over there. And what services even operate there given current events. But, you know, for the rest of us, these are why we preach things like mass cards, mass uh, alias ID, alias email addresses, things like that. So, yeah. Booz Allen says former staffer downloaded employees' personal data. Booz Allen is a defense contractor, which is actually the one Snowden worked for when he leaked the NSA docs. Um, and at the time, employed staffer has downloaded a report containing personal information on potentially tens of thousands of employees as of March 29th, 2021. This includes names, social security numbers, compensation, gender, race, ethnicity, date of birth, and security clearance eligibility. The file was improperly stored on an internal SharePoint site, but said little else. It's unclear if this was a malicious attack or simply negligence. 
Police in the UK have published sexual assault victims' names and addresses on their website. If I read this article right, this wasn't exclusively sexual assault victims. It might have been. The article wasn't really clear on that. Quoting the article, Suffolk Police said that it has launched an investigation into how victims' names, addresses, dates of birth, and details of reportedly hundreds of alleged offenses were left on public view, unquote. The big concern here, in, I mean, in addition to the fact that, you know, there's names, addresses, dates of birth, the big concern here is that this undermines confidence in the police. And regardless of where you, how you feel about the police and the system, this does not help anybody. You know, this discourages people from reporting crimes because why do I want to report a crime if I'm just going to get doxxed for it? And that's especially dangerous for underreported crimes. Not good all around, no matter which way you look at it. All right, I'm going to try it out, everyone. Deutsche Bank denies hack despite access to systems being offered for sale on Telegram. The attacker claims to have access to 21,000 machines and 16 terabytes of data that they are selling for 7.5 Bitcoin, which is about 110,000 British pounds, about the time of us recording this. They are selling access, not the data itself. A spokesperson says that after the post, they performed an analysis and said there's no evidence of compromise. This is possibly the same threat actor who leaked MetaBank data. So very curious why there's a very clear misunderstanding of whether or not there was a hack. So I'm sure we'll get back with more info next week where either the bank finally fesses up that something happened or it turns out this whole attack was a farce. And then our final data breach comes from Infosys, who leaked full admin access AWS keys on PyPy for over a year. Um, you can count that as a shot if you want. So Infosys is a digital services company, quote unquote digital services, that I, I think provides consulting and they provide some kind of service. Uh, the, the author points that out too. They have a lot of buzzwords. It's not really clear what they do, like most services. The researcher claims that they found a lot of data leaking from the company. As usual with these kind of articles, they give you a whole step-by-step, -step, but basically the company accidentally published a GitHub file which contained AWS credentials, which gave them access to a bucket containing COVID patient data. And again, this is all like if you just knew where to look and it was up for over a year. Apparently the company was attempting to take down the file, but it looks like whoever was trying to do that didn't really understand how to use GitHub. The researcher, when they found this, they basically went ahead and just nuked the keys. They revoked the keys so that the file is no longer publicly accessible because the person was trying to take down the file, but they weren't trying to like revoke access, which is hideously irresponsible because who knows who else may have found this. And for those of you who are a little more knowledgeable about security research, the author acknowledges that this is kind of a morally gray area. They kind of said like, hey, I, I recognize maybe that wasn't the right thing to do, but it seemed to hit them like it was the right thing to do at the time. It's the lesser of two evils because clearly the company doesn't know what the hell they're doing and they didn't know if the data was ever gonna get sealed off. So long story short, it is fixed now. Like the company still has other ways to access the data. He's like, this is basically like one public door that I shut. Moving over to companies, Google Cloud announces Epic partnership. The company Epic. It's not that epic. So Epic is apparently one of the largest medical records managed service providers out there. In the course of that research, it seems that a deal like this was already canceled once due to a pushback, but now it's just coming back. Basically, it seems Epic will be using Google's cloud, which Google will almost certainly be mining for user data. And the previous instance was canceled in part due to privacy concerns. This new announcement makes no reference to the older instance and offers no, like, here's what we're doing to uh, address your concerns or anything like that. So really just put this on your radar. Not much to do, just news. Our next Google story says Google will pay $391 million to settle Android location tracking lawsuit. So this suit was filed by, I wrote 50 in the notes here, but I think it was actually 48 US states or 40 states. It was in the 40s. I also assume this is related to the one we talked about a couple weeks ago featuring the Texas Attorney General 
I don't know why that specifically made it across my RSS feed and not the wider suit, but whatever. In addition to the uh, the monetary payout, Google will be required to add more, quote, user-friendly account controls and limit the company's use and storage of some types of location data, unquote. Google is now to roll out a privacy sandbox on Android 13 starting early 2023. Quick recap for those of you. Privacy sandbox, don't be fooled by the name, is Google's attempt to kill third-party cookies Basically, they're the ones controlling your data. It's like first-party data collection. They categorize you with relevant categories, and advertisers pick the categories they want to advertise to. So I would compare this almost to what maybe... You know, Apple doesn't... I would pretty much say it's similar to what Apple does in a lot of ways, which is like they're the ones controlling the data collection, and they kind of just target things from there. Google is now planning a staged rollout of this new tech on Android 13 in early 2023. There's not much I really have to add here. This is probably, honestly, I'm mixed on this whole thing altogether. Even like formal service, like formal people like the EFF are mixed on this technology as well. It has pros and cons. Um, this is just something to put on your radar. As long as there's a way to opt out of it, that's really like what I'm concerned about, honestly. Amazon is starting a virtual health referral service linking patients to doctors. This story comes from Slashdot because the original story is paywalled. It's, it's I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, they're calling this Amazon Clinic, and they're claiming to be a quote-unquote virtual storefront to connect patients with specialists. So I, I imagine this is going to look a lot more like a search engine, you know, like, hey, I want, uh, what were some of the examples they said? Like baldness treatment, or, you know, I have concerns about reproductive health or that might have been a better example but i don't know just you know different things that specialties you know it's not just like hey i need a doctor it's like i need a doctor for this so amazon is trying to expand into the healthcare industry and this seems to be their latest prong on that fork i also heard they um this might have been a while ago but i heard they got like a pharmacy now like amazon pharmacy i don't know if that's mm -hmm. part of amazon clinic but it is not but the article did mention that yeah they have the they have an online pharmacy i think we did cover that actually uh in I mean, it was like six to 12 months ago at this point, but I think we did cover that on a surveillance report. Interesting. And um, they also bought like a major healthcare company. I forget what it was called, like One One Medical or something like that. Uh -huh. So yeah, this is this is just their latest healthcare push. Just like Google, you gotta you gotta get that sweet health data, man. This is completely apolitical. I, I'm not trying to push a political agenda here, and this is not related to privacy, but since we're on the topic of healthcare, if you're an American, you have to get a copy of the book, Never Pay the First Bill by Marshall Allen. It is all about how to read a, a, like a, a bill, a health bill, how to fight back against one that has been improperly billed, how to tell if they're improperly billing you, uh, whether you have insurance or not. Like it is seriously, go get yourself a copy. It is definitely like one of those books that every American should have a copy of this book and read it at least once. Just while we're on the topic. He's a, a, a journalist with ProPublica. So like his whole job is doing investigative journalism on the healthcare system. Meta slash Facebook employees and security guards fired for hijacking user accounts. This is also slash dot because the original story is paywalled. So in some cases, employees were accepting massive bribes, thousands of dollars, which I don't know, that's not a massive bribe. You know, if someone really wants to like figure something out about someone and they have money to spare, like thousands, it's a lot of money, but like, we can have discussions over what massive bribes mean. But either way, the point of the story, they gave these bribes to hand over account access to unauthorized individuals. So why security guards, this is just mind boggling, why did security guards have access to this system capability at all? It's like totally bizarre. I, I literally don't even know what to say to this. Um, I don't know why security guards have access 
to Facebook user data or have the ability to access that data in any capacity. And for me, what this highlights, there are so many countless stories about Facebook that happen every month or two that have been happening for like the last decade of complete negligence about everything. These, this is like one of the very few companies that I can say to the core in every capacity has zero regard for user safety. And I think I can get away with saying that because like objectively I can give you like each month a huge thing they've done like this, which just outlines they do not give a damn about your data and the safety on the platform. Our next story also comes from Facebook. They will be removing political and religious views from profiles on December 1st. That title really says it all. The move is allegedly meant to make Facebook, quote, easier to navigate and use. The unspoken subtext here is that they will be removing these fields from public profiles. There is no chance that they will stop collecting this data or inferring it on the back end. So, um, I mean, I don't think this is a bad move, but it's kind of empty in my opinion. And I, I do wonder what their actual reasoning is because I don't buy that easier to navigate and use. That, that sounds like a made up reason to me. Twitter source code indicates end-to-end encrypted DMs are coming. Quote, recent work on bringing end-to-end encryption in Twitter DMs was spotted by mobile researcher Jane Wong, um, who found the additions, and then Elon Musk responded with a winking emoji. I say it's not even a real story, because, like, literally, like, we're basing everything off of, like, some source code and a winking emoji from Elon Musk. So that's all we know. With that, we'll move into research. Our first study says almost 50% of macOS malware only comes from one app. So the app in question is MacKeeper which is supposed to, quote, keep your Mac clean and safe with zero effort, unquote. I'm not a Mac user, so I don't know anything about this program. I've never heard of it before this article. I'm guessing it's one of those those programs that's supposed to, like, optimize your device and, you know, clear out old junk files and stuff like that. Because this program runs on elevated permissions, it can be abused. The article didn't really go into detail about how this happens, but basically this, this app has a lot of permissions on Macs and apparently is not very good at keeping itself safe with zero effort and therefore attackers are able to get in and that's their doorway to get in so um i just thought that was really interesting and it also you know it the the lesson here of course is to be careful of what apps you put on your device you know it's the same as a phone like every single app every program you add is another potential attack vector so we're not saying don't put things on your device i have a ton of games on my laptop right now i also acknowledge like these are attack vectors these are things that if something goes wrong if there's some kind of supply chain attack that's how they're going to get in. You know, you need to be aware of that. And then for the record, uh, there were some other stats in the article that were really interesting, uh, like, you know, how much malware ends up on each operating system by percentage and what kinds of malware, like crypto miners, ransomware, etc. It's a real short article. I think it's only like five paragraphs. It's definitely worth checking out. Also, um, everything you said, I really like it. And the only thing I'll say is that not every program is created equal. Um, this is why I believe yourself as well. And, and us, we typically discourage third-party antivirus software for the same reason. There have been many stories in the past about malware actually utilizing the elevated privileges of antivirus in order to pretty much use the elevated privileges against itself. Pretty much, like, be careful with the programs. Like, installing a game is different than installing a third-party antivirus. Unless you install GTA 5, where it basically demands to put a f***ing keylogger on your device. Or, actually, no, not a keylogger. Uh, what is that? Boot? Anti-cheat. Anti-cheat. Yeah, which is basically a rootkit. I forgot that's like a thing now because I don't really game. And when I did game in the past, it was before like online games were a thing. So, yeah, yeah, and they it's are so frustrating because like that's that's the first game I've ever had that does it. Uh, and like, I don't ever want to use the online feature in GTA ever at all. I want to play offline, but for some reason I need to install that thing anyways. It's so stupid. I hate it. It's garbage. 
Well, up next, thousands of apps violate U.S. child privacy law. This is research that found that many apps are woefully out of compliance with COPPA. COPPA is like the Children Protection Act here in the U.S. Um, the research examined the apps by store, the Play and App Store, and found a no clear winner between the app stores. Some stores did better in one area, while the others did better in another area. There's a chart that breaks this all down, basically showing what percentage of apps collect what data on each platform. But the takeaway is that thousands of apps violate U.S. child privacy law. So this is probably something good for parents out there to know. In our final research story, study uncovers new threat to security and privacy of Bluetooth devices. So a study found a side channel attack. They kind of gave a lot of context to this. So it used to be that MAC addresses, uh, I think they said every 20 milliseconds or so, uh, your Bluetooth devices are pinging to see what other devices are in the area that they could potentially connect to. They realized that's really bad for privacy. So they introduced something called MAC randomization, which uh, I think is pretty standard now. Like I think iPhone and Android both have that. Basically, when it pings, it changes the MAC address. But basically, the researchers found a side channel attack where it kind of went over my head as, you know, some of these technical researchers do. But basically, they found a way around that and they can still track you even with MAC randomization. They did present a solution, which is basically creating a one-time MAC address. One example they used is using the timestamp as a variable. That would basically change the MAC address every time they send out and ping and it would avoid tracking. Bluetooth, very insecure. Be careful where you use it. Try to turn it off when you're not using it. I say with my new Bluetooth headphones. And politics. Ooh, that's right. This is a big one, people. So COSA, we're just gonna call it COSA, K-O-S-A, would let the government control what young people see online. So this is the newest bill being trying to, they're trying to sneak through Congress um, here in the US. The Kids Online Safety Act, a really noble cause, is meant to be an update to COPPA, which we just talked about, which is from 1998 and is super outdated. This bill aims to offer more privacy protections to minors under 16 online, but the EFF argues that it also includes a lot of censorship. For example, by limiting con content about self-harm, eating disorders, and substance abuse that minors might see. The law would also apply to, quote, any online platform that connects to the internet and that is used or is reasonably likely to be used by a minor, which could see a rise in platforms going overboard to protect themselves. Like I know YouTube, for example, like they started having to require like a checkbox on every video if it's meant for children. So we might see platforms take more rigorous things like that to pretty much uh, avoid any kind of liability on their ends. Finally, there is, of course, the concern about how to verify minors if they're using your platform. So this isn't inherently a bad thing, but it's definitely a very important thing because COPPA is just standard. COPPA has been around for over 20 years now. Honestly, I'm gonna be real, this is probably gonna be passed. Um, so it's really just a matter of what's gonna be modified. I think it's gonna be passed some variant is because COPPA has been around and they're just gonna wanna update it to modernize things. This seems like a pro and a con thing. And I think the EFF probably presents arguments a lot better than either of us could. Yeah, just one thing I wanted to add on to that. One of the examples they made was um, Reddit. You know, it, it is Reddit reasonably likely to be used by a minor? And if so, like, the, the example they pointed out is, like, drug content. Okay, like, obviously we don't want kids learning about, you know, the best way to freebase cocaine or something like that. But at the same time, Reddit is notorious for having their different communities, which personally I think is amazing. That's one of the things I like about Reddit. And some of those communities are really serious, like good, serious communities. Like, for example, support groups. Like, what if there's a subreddit that's dedicated to like a Narcotics Anonymous type thing where it's like it's, it's an online community for you to go and get support with your struggles against drug addiction? 
and the the whole like platforms might go overboard to protect themselves is platforms like reddit could conceivably hit a point where they just say all right no more drug content whatsoever and now all those positive helpful communities are just nuked because you know they're they're drug related even though they're healthy and they're good communities yeah it's an interesting one all right our next political story comes from new york where it says banking giants and new york fed start a 12-week digital dollar pilot the participating banks include citigroup hsbc holdings mastercard and wells fargo i'm really confused by this part it says the test will be conducted in a test environment using simulated data uh quoting the article the pilot will test how banks using digital dollar tokens in a common database can help speed up payments unquote so i don't understand what kind of test that's supposed to be it's like a simulation i guess is this like i i guess they're testing the back end of a proposed digital dollar and how well does it actually work on the server side but that's a thing that is in testing right now we should all be aware massachusetts health officials worked with google to covertly install covid spyware into 1 million phones this is actual spyware this is kind of rare actually because a lot of people just throw the term spyware around nowadays it's like oh my software automatically updated. That's spyware. It's like, this is real spyware. <laughs> the new Civil Liberties Alliance has filed a class action lawsuit against the Massachusetts Department of Public Health. In April 2021, DPH worked with Google to create a contact tracing app. But because of its low adoption, the lawsuit alleges that they again conspired with Google to install the app without consent onto Android devices located in the state. So this actually shows, and there's evidence, that lots of people had to uninstall this app from their phone because it was installed for them. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if you read this one, the app reinstalled itself after some people uninstalled it. I don't know about that part, but they did speculate that there's probably a lot of people that still have this app because they don't even realize that it installed itself. Yeah, it wasn't just like, oh, we installed an app for you. It's just like in the background installed itself. That is actual spyware, people serious problem they might have good intentions and all this what blah 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 the point is it sets a very dangerous precedent of like hey this should not be google no one should have the ability to remotely install something that is unauthorized by you and that includes automatic updates like you should be allowed to opt in to automatic updates but no automatic updates are not inherently spyware there's something that are authorized by a first party that you install on your computer and you're choosing to use this first party in my opinion obviously this is up for debate but I don't know why I'm getting into this debate now because I know some people are going to fight me on that for like no reason. And I think this story is like bad enough that we can all agree that this is wrong. So our next story comes from France where Discord Inc. was fined 800,000 euros. I'm going to read the um, this is an actual statement from the CINL, which is France's uh, data privacy authority. On 10th November 2022, the CNIL fined Discord Inc. 800,000 euros for failing to comply with several obligations of the GDPR, in particular with regard to the data, retention periods, and security of personal data. You can read the article. Again, it's not very long, but they do list exactly like, I think there's like half a dozen. Here's the exact article they violated, and here's more details. Felt like it would be a little much if we list them all out, but if you're curious, you can go check them there. Italy outlaws facial recognition technology except to fight crimes. This was a response to two cities experimenting with facial recognition and smart glasses. Apparently, these glasses were infrared and could recognize license plate numbers. Very interesting. But the facial recognition systems using biometric data will not be allowed until a specific law is adopted or at least until the end of next year, the privacy watchdog said. The exception is when such technologies play a role in judicial investigations or the fight against crime. I think this is a win. It's not like a complete win because we don't know what this is going to look like down the future, but I think it's completely valid to completely like 
stop using something until you can figure out how you're going to handle it. Delaying things, I think, is fine as long as you own up to it. And not just ignore it federally, like the US is doing with a lot of privacy stuff right now, which is a serious problem. Italy is killing it this week. Italian court rejects Google's appeal against Watchdog Fine and accepts Apple's one. Title basically says it all. So Google and Apple both got fined and they were, they both appealed the fine and the court said no to Google, said yes to Apple. The article was really brief. It was literally like five sentences. I'm not sure why they rejected Google's and accepted Apple's or what the arguments were or the reasons. There's really not a lot of detail there, but that happened and we'll keep you updated if we hear any more. Next story, NIST, de-identifying government data sets. So this is a signal boost because it's open for public feedback. So anyone here listening to this or watching this, depending on what platform you're on, can contribute. Um, the US government is trying to find a solution to help successfully anonymize data used in government data sets without skewing the data. So if you're someone who has something meaningful to add, go ahead and check it out. If you don't, then keep your mouth shut and just keep watching. <laughs> All right, with that, we'll move into our free and open source news. We're going to start off with Mastodon. I know some of you are really tired of hearing about it, but guys, we're reporting the news. and Mastodon's kind of in the news lately, so... Mastodon users vulnerable to password-stealing attacks. So this actually comes from Glitch, which is a fork of Mastodon. The researcher found that they could steal credentials that were stored in Chrome using the autofill feature by tricking users into clicking a malicious element disguised as a toolbar. As usual, the article goes into further detail. They talk about how they, you know, basically you can add an emoji that anchors and then create the toolbar. It's all like CSS stuff. Unfortunately, there's not much users can do other than disable autofill in your browser, which in my opinion, you should do anyways, and use manual interactions instead. So copy and paste your passwords into the field, stuff like that. The issue was reported and patched, but one of the drawbacks of Federation is it really depends on your server admin. If they're on the ball and they're keeping up to date with updates, then they have probably already rolled this out, hopefully. Otherwise, you just gotta hope, maybe ping your admin and be like, hey, have you seen this? Um, especially if you know that they're using Glitch. And just a, a note about Mastodon, the EFF has written, so far it's a three-piece or three-part uh, series about the Fediverse. I think they have more coming soon. And it's not just, again, for those of you who are tired of hearing about it, it's not just like, Mastodon is awesome. Here's why you should switch or try it out. It's actual, like, here's the privacy and security concerns. Here's the pros, here's the cons. And it's it's actually very fair and level, in my opinion. We're just gonna go ahead and leave links to all three of those to read through. They're a little bit longer, but especially if you're new to the Fediverse, like this is really good stuff because it'll tell you what the shortcomings are, the, the pitfalls you need to be aware of in terms of privacy and security and stuff like that. It's good stuff. All right, up next, total cookie protection is now available in Firefox for Android. So this is included in version 107, released on November 15th. This basically isolates cookies so they can't track you across the web. I believe this has already been rolled out on desktop, but now it is on Android. Okay, and our last FOSS stories, real quick one, Fedora Linux 37 is out. And that also includes Silverblue for the Silverblue users. See, at least in this announcement, it doesn't seem like there were a huge amount of changes made. The biggest change is GNOME 43, which is actually really cool. Uh, one of the big features they mentioned is there's now a settings panel that tells you uh, security information about the hardware and the firmware. And you can more easily remove Firefox languages that you don't need. That was kind of one of the things they cited. I mean, to be fair, this announcement kind of went over every single version. It wasn't specifically focused on desktop, but yeah, um, 37's out. It's got GNOME 43, looks pretty cool. If you're a Fedora user, check it out. All right. Oh, I'm glad I got this one. Okay, so Misfits. This is from VMware, which is virtual machine software 
virtualization for operating systems. VMware Fusion 13 is now available with native support for Apple Silicon Macs. So it's going to run with ARM support. This is really cool because VMs can be great privacy and security tools, and it's good to have more stable, functional options for newer Macs that are probably a crazy amount more efficient now that's native to Apple Silicon Macs. This is also a reminder that VirtualBox got native Silicon support very recently as well, and VirtualBox is an open source alternative to VMware, though I would argue it's much worse. And Parallels, though, has had this for ages. Parallels has had native support for like probably well over a year, I think. And I would say they probably offer like the best but costliest VM experience on macOS. So those are like your three virtualization options on macOS. Actually, I think there's native, um, Apple includes a native virtualizer as well that you can use, but these are probably more robust solutions for people. All right, and our final story this week comes from 1Password, who is rolling out passkey support. So we've talked about passkeys before. They're kind of hard to explain. Um, Kind of like uh, logging in with push notifications, but they're actually better than that. You can use them with Android or iOS and they're starting to be more adopted. So hopefully developers will start pushing them out too. And it's basically an attempt at going passwordless because let's be honest, passwords kind of suck. They're not that great. So this is kind of supposed to be a more mainstream, I guess like a compromise between passwords and like YubiKeys. Uh, although those should be more widely adopted too, in my opinion. Anyways, yeah, it's just, it's Apple and Google and big tech in general. It's their next effort to go passwordless. And for the record, they do have some drawbacks, like they rely heavily on a smartphone and that could single out a lot of people in areas where smartphone access isn't as ubiquitous. But overall, they're trying to solve the problem of people using terrible passwords everywhere. Anyways, 1Password will be rolling out passkey support, which is good because like we said, it's it's a step up, it's improvement. And 1Password is, they're not open source, but they're not a bad password manager. They have a good reputation. I've also heard they have really good integration, especially on Macs. They work really well for people. And honestly, I'm one of those people that I know Michael Basil talked about this this week on his podcast. At this point, like any password manager we can get people using and stop using bad passwords, I think is really a win. So, I mean, one password, like I, we're personally fans of like Bitwarden and KeePass, but if some people want to use one password, it's better than reusing the same crappy password everywhere. So anyways, yeah, they're, they're going to start rolling this out in early 2023. And in the meantime, they have unveiled a live interactive demo of how it works. So you can go check that out, especially if you're not familiar with passkeys, you can go check this out, just to kind of get an idea of how they work. So, you know, hey, good for them. A few things to add. One, I totally agreed on all of that. Actually on TechLore resources, it's key password word and one password. We recommend one password on our site. Um, it's not like the starred one, it's not the main one, but I think, what do I say? Quote, it's an option for users who aren't happy with other offerings. It is similar to most mainstream cloud-based password managers. By the way, you can use it in the cloud, non-cloud-based way too, while having an excellent privacy and security record. So like of all the proprietary password managers out there with like the most amount of features, I think 1Password's not a bad place to be, personally. Also, I'll say a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to use passkeys. Like, I don't want to use my smartphone. It's the same standard for YubiKeys. So this is actually a win for YubiKey users as well. Oh, like, this, I didn't this, know that. That's awesome. Well, yeah, that's that's why when you, like, you set up... When you set up a YubiKey on your browser, it says, do you want to... Do you want to add a key via a YubiKey, a security key, or do you want to add it via an Android device? Like you can use your phone as a security key, or you can use your YubiKey as a security key. It's effectively the same thing. It's the same standard. So all of this password list stuff being normalized pretty much means all you YubiKey security key people will probably see more services adopting this standard, which is really good. We're going to go into the Q&A section again, people. These are from our patrons. So if you want to ask a question, we answer 
most of them, go ahead and join our Patreon and ask us a question for next week's report. By the time you're watching this, the Q&A prompt is already live on the Patreon, so you can ask a question right now. But this is from AB, and they ask, curious of your thoughts on trackers like AirTag and Tile. I'm debating on getting one for when I have to check my bags on trips, but haven't done much research on them. In the end, I'm sure you'll say it's up to the threat model. <laughs> yeah, you know us pretty well. Um, but I'm still curious of your thoughts on them and if you have any recommendations. Personally, and I'm sure Nate has thoughts too, my biggest issue with these is they rely on something like Bluetooth being on 24-7. That's my real issue, is like now, because of this device that you have, you now have to pretty much tailor your entire workflow. Maybe, and may, hey, maybe you already use Bluetooth all the time and that's fine, but like I don't wanna have any devices that require me to have Bluetooth on all day, because I have inherent issues with Bluetooth. So that's my biggest issue, is if you're using this device to go with you everywhere you go, this is possibly a new security attack vector that can be attacked, but also it's now an extra avenue that can be used to track you. But if you're just using this to check your bags on a trip, I don't see the big deal. Like, I honestly think when you're traveling, most privacy and security kind of falls apart. Like you have to go on these flights, you have to like go through TSA. There's a lot of things that fall apart in threat models when you travel. And it's probably something we should cover more. I, actually, that's a really good thing that should be talked about. But when you're traveling, I think it's okay to like drop your threat model a little bit you're traveling. Just like you drop your diet when you travel, I think it's okay to drop your privacy and security a little bit. It's okay to use Uber to get around places. Uh, you don't need to pay cash at taxis and like ruin your entire trip for privacy and security. That's my stance. Um, I would personally avoid air tags and tiles on a day-to-day -day basis, but if you have one and you want to use it for specific situations, it's not going to kill anything you're doing. Yeah, I totally agree. It's up to your threat model, obviously. The obligatory, we have to say that. You do know us very well. But yeah, if you're just using it for a, a limited one-time case scenario. And honestly, my issue with your air tags is more the the fact of how they get abused. You know, they're exactly. being used to stalk people. They're being used to steal people's cars. It, it really depends on, obviously, your threat model and your use case. But I think, yeah, something short-term like that, I don't see any issues. Our next question comes from Patreon. That is the display name this person chose, Patreon. And they said, uh, they were playing a game when someone in the server said that I was doxxed, so I looked it up on Google and DuckDuckGo and it appeared on both engines. I was thinking about using Google's remove a result page, but it would still show up on DuckDuckGo and other engines. I can't report it like I would on Pastebin because the site that is hosting it is Doxbin. So their whole thing is their Pastebin for doxing people. What should I do in this situation? I thought about having a bunch of spam results show up, but I wouldn't even know how to get that to work. Any tips or advice would be greatly appreciated. First of all, there's a lot of like really specific stuff that we would have to know here, I think to give you like really actionable advice. Like, why did the, the people in your server know that that was you? Are you going by your real name? Yeah, I would wanna know more information about that. I'd, the thing I liked about this question that stuck out to me is you mentioned um, using falsifying information. And I think that's personally something that I don't think gets talked about enough. Michael Basil, I think, it, I know he used to have like a whole chapter about that in his books. I don't know if he still does, but one of the things he suggests is like getting mail and fake names, which may or may not work. I got a package from out of the country one time and USPS sent it all the way back because it didn't have the right name on it because they suck. There's things like he suggests uh, getting like shopping rewards cards and putting in fake name, fake address, fake phone numbers. It's definitely not, there, I don't think there's anything you can do like immediately to get this information to go away. But I, I do think that disinformation, if you start now, can really filter out and can start to poison those legitimate search results. So even if one does pop up that's accurate, it's just one. And you've already got 20 others that say that you live at, you know, Nome, Alaska 
or you know somewhere that's not even remotely close to where you live i did write a two-part blog that was kind of about it kind of lays some of the groundwork and it was kind of more focused on things like um not giving your real phone number when you order food or you know things like that but it it might get you started in some of the right directions there's magazine subscriptions there's rewards cards there's just online accounts sign up for facebook and give them all the wrong information or do it with linkedin because i know from personal experience they leak everything yeah, I think a lot of that is good, like, oh, from, from here on out, here's what you can do. And also it's great prevention and good advice to give to people. But like the hard part about doxing is remediation and almost like cleanup crew, like, well, what do you do? Um, it, like the, the problems already happened. And I think it really depends on what's been doxed. If it's a phone number and first and last name, it's probably not the worst thing in the world because it's really easy to just create new accounts for everything under a different name, as long as it's not KYC. KYC'd, and um, you can always change your phone number. So it's really about figuring out what data has been leaked. If there's any associated data, right, that could go along with it, like are there any accounts that using those two data points can get more information about you? So I would look at it from just a like, what data has been leaked? What kind of things can you change? What kind of things can you kind of just comfortably live with? Be like, okay, my name is out there now. I guess someday if it's a real issue, I could try changing my name or I could just from here on out, like, start using different names for different services so people can't easily track the accounts I have and things like that. The one thing that like really sucks to have doxed is like a home address because that's a hard one to deal with. You have to move. And that one can like, you know, put you physically in danger as well. So I hope that whatever was leaked wasn't a home address because that would be a hard thing to deal with. And really the only real advice is to say like, move. And that's it for this week. So again, our, our big story is DuckDuckGo has some new tracking protection. It's a little bit overhyped, possibly, but it's not bad. Definitely something to check into if you're an Android user. Google is under some fire, along with Discord. We'll keep you updated on those and, you know, any other stories as we learn more about them. And, you know, same with everything else. And thank you guys for some good questions this week. Promo segment, again, we have Patreon, Fiat Currency. You get perks in return, like you get a TLDR notes. You get the ability to ask questions like the ones we got. You don't have to listen to the spiel. Monero is an anonymous cryptocurrency. You can send us money. We don't see anything about you, but we do see the contributions. It helps very much. Thank you so much. And again, just a heads up, we are considering taking on some sponsors. They will be ethical. They will be services we actually believe in, that we've actually vetted. Just wanted to let you guys know that might be coming. Don't panic. Just a real quick on that note, uh, Techlore and The New Oil both have publicly visible uh, like guidelines for sponsors that we accept. And... Full disclosure, I actually modeled mine after TechLore's because you beat me to it. We'll probably go with something similar to that, which is basically, like I said, they, they have to be services we believe in. They have to be services that respect user privacy. We'll be fully open and transparent. We're never going to try and like not tell you guys that this is a sponsor and, you know, try to like subtly advertise. So yeah, just if you guys want more reassurance, go ahead and check those out and you'll kind of get a feel for the type of stuff we'd be doing. I wanted to try something new this week. Let me know if you like it. I wanted to feature a review. We just got this one uh, a couple of days ago, actually. My go-to privacy. This is my go-to podcast for weekly privacy and security updates. Great balanced coverage with practical advice and reminders about your own privacy and security. I also recommend the resources for those interested in being more secure with their data and privacy. Resources available for very expertise level. Thank you so much for the review. You can be our next reviewer. I think it's a good way to like showcase some of the reviews that you guys leave because we have some cool reviews there. So I'll try to showcase one. We'll try to showcase one when we get them. So the more reviews we get, I guess the more we can showcase. 
I'm going to go read them now. With that, thank you so much for listening to Surveillance Report. The final thing we want to ask of you is to share the podcast around. Make sure you are subscribed and give us a rating if you are on a platform where that is an option. We're trying to reach as many people as possible with the message of privacy and every little interaction and share and stuff like that helps. Thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week.